Heavenly Father, we thank You, Lord, just to be able to come and worship You, to remind ourselves of Your presence here, Your nearness, to remember that You've allowed us to come near, Lord, through Your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray, Lord, that this morning that You would touch our hearts by the power of Your Holy Spirit. We pray that our hearts would be soft and humble towards You, Lord, receptive to Your Word. Lord, I pray for anybody here this morning who, if they were to die today, that they would not know where they would end up. I pray that today would be their day of salvation, Lord. And as You say in Your Word through the prophet Isaiah, that we're to seek You, when you can be found, and to call on you when you're near. So this is the time, Lord. This is the time. And so, Lord, we commit all things to you now. May you be glorified. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 Before you sit down, can you say hello to a couple people, please? All right, you may be seated. Good morning, everybody. Come on in. Have a seat. All right, if you have your Bibles this morning, go ahead and take them out and turn to the book of Luke, chapter 5. And we just have a a couple announcements before we get into the Word this morning. We're also going to have communion this morning, so uh, be ready for that. So uh, it's getting closer. We've been announcing our baptism coming up again um, June 4th, Sunday after church, 1.30 to 5 p.m. And uh, that will, will um, this should be all, all in the bulletin, but it's at Lake Grapevine. And uh, it's for everybody to come out. One, uh, if you want to get baptized. Two, if you want to come and just hang out with the body and celebrate those getting baptized. So... It's going to be an awesome day. And then um, Wednesday night, this Wednesday night, we're back into the book of Romans, and we're going to be in chapters 4 and 5. And then i um, like to just let you all know, if you don't already, our church supports a missionary endeavor in Haiti. And um, I talked to Pastor Brian, who... Heads up, Cross Delight Ministries, which if you're not familiar with that, I encourage you just to go online and look it up, Cross Delight Ministries. But um, he told me a couple things. One, uh, just update-wise, he wanted us to be praying because there's some major shifts going on in Haiti now. And Haiti is uh, one of the top two or three most dangerous places that you could go right now. And he said what's happening is, it's interesting, the the gangs had taken over Haiti, and now the people are fighting back. So now the people are organizing to fight against the gangs, and they're actually organizing with the police to fight against the gangs. So you can imagine what that's like over there. But... Through all this, Crosslight Ministries has planted churches all across Haiti. 
and they had an opportunity. He told me on Thursday, so I hadn't got the update yet, but they had an opportunity to, on Friday, to go in the most dangerous place in Haiti and have an evangelistic outreach. And so I haven't heard how that went yet, but um, that's just all our prayers. I know a lot of you have, have been praying for Haiti, all the support. So when you support our church, part of that goes to support the ministries over there. And also, he, he said that they have an opportunity now where for a short time they have a gas station. If, if you know anything about Haiti, the gas is a big problem there. And a lot of the gangs have taken over the gas station, so, so they're not able to get gas. And so they, for a short time, they have a, a gas station. And so they're going to um, stock up on as much gas as they can get before it closes down. So he was asking if anybody wanted to support that, um, just look up Christlight Ministries and uh, you can just help them buy some gas so they can store up. And that's a, a major resource. If they, if they have gas, they can help a lot of other people that are on the island there. And so just, just an update uh, with all that going on. And then um, just... I don't know about you guys, but I was just going about my day yesterday, and you know, you hear about uh, another shooting close by, and uh, I have a few friends up there I contacted and, and made sure they're okay. We're friends with Calvary Chapel McKinney, which is close to there, and everybody is okay there, but um, just another reminder as we continue to see things like that happen, see things snowballing. We see um, that's one indicator of just layers upon layers of things. If you start to just list them out like bullet points of all the things that are going on, not just in our country, but globally, you start to realize the Bible is unfolding exactly as it says it's going to, and we are in the last days. And so if, if, if you're not able to, to see that and understand, you, you have to know that the Bible has told us about all of these things that are going on and what to look for before Jesus takes the church out of here, which ushers in the Great Tribulation. And so something like that, and you just think how just crazy. There, there are, are people that today are dealing, I guess uh, eight people died, and uh, I think seven more were injured. And I just think, what, what are those people dealing with? today just you know you just wake up to go shopping and and next thing you know something like that happens and and so the, you know these things are just happening more and more and so it just to me it's just giving me a, a, another reason to be urgent about letting you know if you're not right with Jesus Christ right now with all the things going on you might be completely having a seared conscience to the reality of what the world is doing and what's happening in the world. So my plea to you is you have to be right with Jesus Christ. This is God is giving every warning, every sign, everything you could ever imagine. And please connect the dots. These things that are happening are not random things. These are things that are happening to fulfill Bible prophecy and demonstrate the evil of this world and it's not going to get better. And I know a lot of times we think, well, this is just, it's just going to get better. And if we have, you know, the right people in place in our government, it's not going to get better. 
I'm just telling you that right now because the Bible says that in the last days, the signs will be like a woman in labor. So there'll be an increase in intensity and an increase in frequency. That's actually the sign. The sign is the increasing of intensity and frequency. And that's what we're seeing today. So please connect the dots and say, there's something actually going on that's not random. If it just once in a while and a random thing happens, then okay, that's just a random thing. But you start to stack up the things going on and realize this is not random. This is something going on of biblical proportions and you're feeling that way because it's exactly what's happening, which means Jesus is going to come back soon and take the church out. And if you're not ready, you're going to face uh, things that you don't ever want to experience. What we're seeing now is a tip of the iceberg compared to what the tribulation is going to be like. And so I had to get that off my chest. So in the book of Luke, please look at Luke chapter 5. And uh, if you're new here, just please know that what we do is we just look at the Bible and go through the Bible because we want to know what God says and not what man says. And so we are working our way through the book, book of Luke. And if I could draw your attention to Luke chapter 5, verse 10 for a moment. It says, this is Jesus saying this, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So how did that statement come about? This is Jesus telling Peter this. So he tells him, don't be afraid. There's a reason he's telling him that. And then he's saying that something is about to happen in your life. A big shift, a big change. And that change is, you're going to be... A person like millions after you that are going to go from just sort of obscurity, like Peter is just a, an obscure fisherman, to one who has a calling on their life to do God's work for eternity. So how, do, how does that happen? How does someone go from just, you, you, you're born and, you grow up and, and then you, you get a job and you do your job and you're, you're married. How do you go from living your life like that to a place where God has called you to do significant work that will resonate into eternity forever? The most significant work, the work that Jesus did, the work that then He handed over to His disciples and then handed over to the church. How do we get there? How does that happen? And how, do, how, do, how, how does a person like you and I this morning get a, a, just sort of capture that calling that God has on our life? And what we're going to see, and we're going to look at this account from chapter 5, verse 1 through verse 11. We're going to look at it from Peter's standpoint. And we're going to see how, how Peter got to this place where Jesus says, don't, don't be afraid, from now on you will catch men. And we're, we're going to see that, that in order for Peter to, to get to that place of being a catcher 
of men, he has to, to personally experience certain things. And if you're taking note, notes, we're going to look at three things. He's personally going to experience emptiness. And then he's going to personally experience brokenness. And then he's going to personally experience willingness. So all those things are things that that happen when God begins to work in somebody's life. When Jesus comes near to an individual, and that individual begins to really, truly know Jesus Christ, that person will will go from just a worldly existence and identity and occupation to one who's called to do the work of God. And so let's read through the section of Scripture, then we'll go back and look at it a little more closely. So chapter 5, verse 1, it says, So it was, as the multitudes pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats standing by the lake, But the fishermen had gone from them, and they were washing their nets. And then he, Jesus, he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, that's Peter. And he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and he taught the multitudes from the boat. And when he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. And so they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and they filled both boats so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to the land, they forsook all and they followed him. So so there you have it. You have this account of Peter. His interaction with Jesus, his unexpected encounter with Jesus, and how that changed him. And if you were to sort of fast forward from this point a little further down, you would realize that it was Peter who was the first preacher of the church in the book of Acts who at his preaching, 3,000 people in his first sermon came to be born again and know Jesus Christ personally. And then a little bit later, another 2,000 were added to where just in the very beginning of 
Peter's ministry, there are 5,000 new converts to Christianity. And he was just a person just like you and I. Wasn't anything special. Wasn't super credentialed. Wasn't super talented at preaching or theology or any of those things. He was just touched by God in such a way where he experienced God to the extent where he became a follower of God. And so as one commentator has said, God doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called. And so let's look a little closer at just the the particular scene that's at hand, and it's, it's right after uh, Jesus had been in Capernaum, a little town on the Sea of Galilee there. He went into the synagogue, and he cast out a demon in the synagogue. He went from there to Peter's mother-in-law's house, and he healed her. And then multitudes of people came to him to be healed and have demons cast out of him. And then he went to be alone with the Father, to pray to the Father. And as he was doing that, he just had multitudes of people coming, wanting him to to heal them. And he said that he needs to go. He couldn't stay there in Capernaum because he wasn't about just healing people and the physical uh, miracles. He, He was about preaching, he said, the kingdom of God. And so he had to keep going from town to town. The miracles weren't the thing. The miracles were just to substantiate the fact of his preaching, that his preaching was he was truly preaching as God in the flesh. So his miracles were substantiating that. And so here we just have him in full swing ministry. In those three years around the Sea of Galilee, just ministering to people and now here we just we pick up another account of that so so it says in verse one it says so it was just this continuation of the ministry of jesus it says that there are there are multitudes thousands of people at this time were pressing jesus so it'd sort of be like being at a concert at the front against the stage and people are really excited about the concert. And so they're just pushing you towards the stage type. It would be like that. And the reason is, notice what it says next. If you'll draw your attention to that little phrase, which blesses me so much. It says that they were pressing him to hear the word of God. So there is a hunger there. And... Mind you, this was in a, a culture that had a lot of religion. So there's a, it's a very religious culture. But yet we see that the people were starving. Because Jesus was saying things which you and I also have in our Bibles. The very Word of God. And did you know that people are starving for the Word of God? Do you know there, there are people that attend church every Sunday religiously and are sort of like grapes 
attached to the vine, but are more like raisins because they're not being fed the Word of God. People are hungry for the Word of God. And you know, sometimes people don't even know it. People don't even, even know that the Word of God is available because they're so caught up in traditions and rituals and just attending a service on Sunday. But we know, and this is, this is sort of the confidence that, that I have, and this is one of those scriptures where I get confidence in doing what we do here at church because I know for a fact people are hungry for God's Word. And people are hungry for God's Word because they're hungry for the truth. And I believe that's growing even more when people don't even know what the truth is, where to find it, or how to access the truth. The truth in the public uh, square is dwindling. And so you would think that the main place that people would be able to go to find truth would be in God's church. But I'm... Um, Sorry to report that that's drying up. That well is drying up. I'm sorry to report that many seminaries that are pumping out pastors that are leading these churches, the Word of God is drying up in the seminaries. And worldly philosophies are infiltrating just about every seminary and many, many churches to where those starving people for the Word of God can't even come to church to get the Word of God. Do you know what happens when that happens? Well, we have examples of that in the Old Testament. The examples in the Old Testament are the children of Israel, who God had called to represent Him to the world so that the world would know the God of Israel, the one true God. And as the nation of Israel got corrupt... It'd get corrupt from outside to inside to where finally the priesthood got corrupt. And when the priesthood got corrupt, that was it. That was when the nation of Israel would fall. That, that would be it because at that point they served no purpose anymore. Because now there was nowhere where people would be able to go to find who God is, and to find what the truth is. And so that's why here in our text, that's why the people were pressing against Jesus because He was giving them the Word of God. That phrase, Word of God, meant that His words were God's words. He was God, of course, and He is also speaking the words of God. And so as He's speaking... What was coming out of his mouth was pure, unadulterated truth. And so that was the thing that caused people to press into Jesus so much so that he, there wasn't a stage to, to crush him, but there was the Sea of Galilee behind him. And so he ends up getting into a boat to get more room to preach. But please don't let this escape you what people were hungry for and pe what people were desiring. It was the Word of God. So it says that he stood by the lake Gennesaret. That's just a, another name for the Sea of Galilee. 
And it says now, he, as he's there, he's preaching, thousands of people there, listening to his words, and there were two boats standing by the lake. They were empty. It says the fishermen had gone from them, from those boats, and they were washing their nets. So now here we come up to one of those amazing providential circumstances to where these fishermen had been fishing all night and they didn't catch anything. So what they were doing is their boats were empty and they were cleaning their nets. They, they were getting their nets ready for the next time they're going fishing. Their failure created an opportunity for an amazing thing to happen. These empty boats and those empty nets give us an amazing picture of how empty life is without Jesus. It gives us an amazing picture as the disciples would be going about their business and coming up short with all of their knowledge. These would be experts, fishermen. This was their, their profession. They had a fishing business. They grew up on this lake. They knew all the ins and outs of the lake. They knew all the weather, weather patterns, the fish patterns. They knew everything. They're experts. And yet even with all of that, their nets were empty. They're confronted with the reality of how insufficient their own efforts can be at times. But this created this huge opportunity for one of the most amazing things to happen in the Bible, just like many of our failures create opportunities for some of the greatest works of God. And so he gets into one of the boats, one of the two, which was Simon's, which is Peter's. And Jesus asked him to put out a little from the land. Hey, Peter, can you push the boat out a little bit? And he sat down and he taught the multitudes from the boat. So the emphasis here again is on Jesus teaching the Word. That's why people were coming. That's why Jesus came to preach and teach the kingdom of God. He was meeting the spiritual hunger of the people. And we have this initial presentation of the emptiness of life without the true meaning of life, Jesus Christ. Now this is not something new, but this is something that we see all throughout the Bible. The emptiness of life without God in it. And I want to read from uh, the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, just a little section of that. Feel free to turn there, but you don't have to. I'm going to just read that briefly. But the book of Ecclesiastes, which is right after Proverbs, is a book written by the man who had it all. I mean, he had it all. Solomon. Solomon had it all. And he had the means to get it all. And he says this. 
as a man who went and experienced and experimented with the world to try to find meaning and satisfaction. In other words, it was like he was saying, okay, world, what can you do for me? His conclusion was, Ecclesiastes 1.1, the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. You know what that means? Empty. I'm pretty sure a lot of you are here today because you have realized at a place in your life wisely that everything in this world is empty. And I'm sure, because I know a lot of you, that you're here because God revealed Himself to you at the place where you realized that whatever you were doing to try to fill your heart, to try to find satisfaction, to try to find meaning and purpose, that all of that was like the preacher said, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. And then he goes on and says, What profit has a man from all his labor? Meaning my occupation, my work. So a lot of people try to find meaning and identity in their work and their occupation. Yes, that's one of the biggies. And he says, what, what good is all of that in which he toils under the sun? One generation passes away, another generation comes, but the earth abides forever. The sun rises, the sun goes down, and hastens back to its place where it came up. The wind goes towards the south and turns around to the north. The wind whirls about continually and comes again in, on its circuit all the rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is not full to the pl place of which the rivers come. There they return again. All things are full of labor. Man cannot express it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. Sounds like a bummer, huh? But you know, that's really the testimony in the case of one who has discovered that the world cannot satisfy and cannot fulfill. As we see this empty net scene of Peter, it sets the stage for his understanding that there is something greater than what is seen underneath the sun. The Bible says there's nothing new under the sun. Did you know some people are addicted to new things? Is it just new stuff? And then after it's not new, you get tired and you want something else new? That's an addiction too. The book of Haggai, the prophet Haggai, he, he put it like this. He says, consider your ways. You have sown much and bring in little. You eat 
but do not have enough. You drink, but are not filled with drink. You clothe yourself, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put in a bag with holes. Doesn't that feel like how your paychecks are? And then Proverbs 27.20 says, The eyes of a man are never satisfied. When we can come to that understanding, the earlier we do, the greater it is. Because it is crazy to realize, either in your life personally or to witness others, running around like a chicken with their head cut off, trying to find something to satisfy the human heart. And may I say that nothing will satisfy the human heart but God and God alone. When Jesus came, He came and He said, Believe in Me and out of your heart will flow living waters. John chapter 7. Jesus said, I come to give you life and that more abundantly. And so human effort cannot bring spiritual satisfaction. And this is where we see Peter. And so in in verse 4, this emptiness is getting his attention. And Jesus is out on the sea preaching the kingdom of God. Thousands of people on the shore listening to him. But the story is really about Peter. So it says in verse 4, when he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, he said, launch out into the deep. Let down your nets for a catch. He's telling him specifically, Peter, and think about this. Jesus is displaying the fact that He is God. He's revealing attributes that the Jewish people would know that God would have. And one is that you would have to be able to be all-knowing, omniscient. And here Jesus is displaying His omniscience, meaning that He knows all things. He's also displaying His power over all things. And so as he tells Peter to go out, he's actually telling him the reason you're going to go out is to catch something. He's saying that. So he's putting it all out there. Which, if you think about it, he's setting this up so Peter knows that he is God. Because he didn't just say, well, I think there might be some fish over here or maybe try there. He's saying, go out to a specific place, at a specific depth, at a specific time, contrary to every fisherman's knowledge about fishing. This was not the time where you catch fish. You catch fish at night or at early morning, not at midday. But Jesus tells him to go out for a catch. That's my type of fishing. I don't really like fishing too much, but I like catching. 
that's the problem with fishing. There's not enough catching. But here he's saying go out and catch. So I'm all on board with that. But Simon answered and he says to him, Master, which is, it means boss or someone like in authority. He's not ascribing deity to him at this point. He says, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. And if I don't think, I can't think of a better phrase or term or section of scripture which describes the meaningless of life and the humanness of living in this world is that of toiling. That word toil means to work to fatigue and ending up with nothing. Sort of like uh, another phrase is just spinning your wheels or the picture of a hamster on a wheel. A lot of action, but not going anywhere, just moving. And a lot of us, we do things to feel significant, to try to feel significant, to try to feel important. But at the end of the day, what does all of that really matter? That's what's happening. Toiling, working, but what is the significance about that? The Bible tells us to work hard. That's an honorable, godly characteristic. But it's not just working hard. It's not just going to the gym and standing there. But it's, it's actually exercising oneself in the things of the Lord. Hard work is exercising oneself in the things of the Lord If not, it's meaningless. This is what the Bible's saying. It's completely meaningless. The the emptiness that, that you're feeling here is what Peter would be feeling, and he's expressing that. And he's telling Jesus, who's saying, hey, go over here and cast your net. Why is Jesus saying that? Because he's teaching Peter that only he can fulfill him through a physical example. And Peter says it himself, I worked all night and nothing. Meaningless. Empty. But he says this, and this I'm I'm so happy for this. He has to let Jesus know, okay, I've already done everything, so you can tell me to go out, but I've already fished. I've already been out all night. I've already done all that, but I'll do what you want me to do anyway. So he says, nevertheless, and and here's what's key about this, at your word, I will let down the net. That's the key. So Here's where things get really interesting, not only in our text, but also in all of our lives. When we act on the Word of God, not just hear, not just appreciate from a distance, but when we start to act on God's Word, that's where things really start to change. And Peter says this, and and Peter's 
going to obey the words of Jesus despite the fact that it's against his understanding. See, he doesn't understand. Doesn't make sense. And so many of us can get caught up in not being obedient by faith because God's word says so, but instead we worship our understanding. We worship our ability to fully comprehend everything. But the Bible tells us we're not to lean, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, we're not to lean on our own understanding, but in all things acknowledge the Lord, and He'll direct our paths. So some of us are getting all tripped up because we don't understand. And that doesn't mean that we have a blind faith. It means that God is infinite and we are finite and we can't understand everything about an infinite God. And so what we do is like Peter says, I don't get this, I don't understand, this doesn't seem right, but your word says it, so I'm going to do it. So he lets down the net. Remember, this is a lot of extra work. He was done for the day. He was tired. He he was going to go home probably and get ready for the next fishing. But this is effort. This is energy. And he didn't believe anything was going to happen. He was just sort of appeasing Jesus. Okay, Jesus. But in verse 6, when they had done this, Then they caught a great number of fish, so so that their net was breaking. We're getting a picture here that Peter has never had in all his years of fishing a catch like this. This is the biggest catch that he's ever had in his life. So much so, the nets were breaking. And so it says... He signals to his partners, remember there are two boats? He signals to the the partners and to the other boat, and he says, hey, come help me. And I love that, because what a great picture of the church. The church is not a place, the church is people. You didn't come to church this morning. You came to be with the church. The church is people. And so here we see now God's blessing. Now God's doing a work, and it's too much for one person. And so we see the partnering. This is what ministry is all about. Ministry is often limited by the lack of people willing to participate in the ministry. So a ministry, will, will, when God blesses it, if it doesn't have the partnering or the people to come help, like, look, the net's overflowing. They said, I'm too busy right now, Peter. But see, they came because they were excited about the catch. They wanted to be part of this amazing work of God, and that's what it's like in a church body. It's we are all participating to contribute to the work of God so the work of God won't be hindered in any way. And so they come in verse 7 to help. And it says they and they came and they filled both boats. So much so now the boats are sinking. 
And I, I was reading that. And I just thought, that is amazing. I want to sink in God's blessings. That's the kind of sinking I can sign up for. And it's all due to what? To being obedient to following God's word. Just following God's word. Peter didn't do anything of himself, only that which God told him to do. Remember the night before, he was working so hard and was producing nothing. Do you know that's one of the philosophies of our church? Before we had our renovation, we had on the back wall, it says, it's the Lord. Because we recognize and realize if anything is going to happen here, it's going to be the Lord's doing, not our cleverness or our smartness or our education or whatever it is. It's going to be the Lord. And so this is what God is teaching. Jesus is teaching Peter. He said, look, this is what your work ends up in. Nothing. This is what my work ends up in. You're sinking in blessings. You have so much, you don't know what to do with it. And so you need partners to help you to come and to uh, manage this catch that God is bringing. And so this is what is being taught to Peter. God, Jesus is saying, hey, look, through me you can do all things, but on your own you can do nothing. And when Jesus said that in, in another place, he was talking about spiritually... You and I have no ability to bring about spiritual things, but God does and will through us if we're simply obedient to what He says to do. So, in verse 8, Peter saw it. Imagine Peter, the frustration of the night before, maybe moving around to try to find different spots, you know the feeling when you go fishing and you reel in? You think you have something and it's like weeds on your hook or it's just so disappointing. And just imagine this is his living, this is his livelihood. He'd have to go sell these fish to, to make a living and every time they pull up the net, there's nothing in there. And they'd go to another place and drop it down. And that went on all night until finally there's just it was too late, it was over, it was done. And then Jesus says something, then all of a sudden their two boats are sinking because of the weight of the fish. Well, this caused a reaction. And Peter, when Peter saw his reaction was he fell down at Jesus' knees. So here's the shift. Here's what Peter is experiencing. Here's how he's getting to the place where he's going to be a catcher of men. He's personally is experiencing and going through the emotions of emptiness and working without meaning. And he's going through that, that emptiness. And that emptiness then leads to this amazing revelation that he has of God. And it caused a physical reaction. And he, he fell down at Jesus' knees. He was broken. That's what this is. He's broken. This self-sufficient expert fisherman who relied on his knowledge, his understanding, his strength, his ability, all of that, when he saw Jesus and understood who Jesus was, is all, all undone. That's the best way to say it. He was undone as a person. Broken. 
humble. And he says this, it's very interesting. He says to Jesus, he falls in and he says to Jesus, depart from me. He's saying, Jesus, you need to go away. That's an interesting thing for him to say. You, you would think he would say, Jesus, you want to join our business? Can we be business partners? I'll give you 90%. I don't care. Just show up once a week and I don't care. You would think this would make Peter, this success, you would think that that would make Peter more worldly or more desiring to be successful in his occupation or whatever. But it did, it did just the opposite. Because what, what happened was he, he saw things the most correctly that he's ever seen them in his life. He saw everything in perspective to Jesus. And because of that, he told Jesus to go away. Why did he do that? Because this is, this is what happens. This is a normal reaction when one gets closer to Jesus. We don't want to be that close because we realize our sinful condition before him. That's why Peter said, okay, now I know who you are. You're God. And that means he was experiencing the holiness of God and the glory of God. And because of that, he said, you need to go away. And he was afraid. He was afraid to be in his presence. God's holiness is like a consuming fire. This instant fear of God arrested his heart where where now he's not prideful and self-sufficient. Now he's on his knees and he said, Jesus, you need to go away. He said, I'm a sinful man. Oh, Lord. Peter comes to the most important revelation about himself that he's ever had in his life. And it's the the realization that before God, he is sinful. His description, his adjectives about himself were not flattering. The reason they weren't flattering because he understood who Jesus was. And his response was one of fear and telling Jesus to go away. I can't be around you. I'm sinful. In other words, he's saying, I'm not worthy to be around you. I'm not worthy to be present. I'm not worthy to be near. This brokenness then ends up in his willingness to do whatever God has called him to do. Notice in verse 9. It says, For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were partners with Simon and Jesus said to Simon don't be afraid from now on you will catch men that's how we got here we got to this place 
through the realization of Peter of his own emptiness without God, which led to this extreme brokenness before a holy God that in a way he was crying, have mercy on me. And Jesus, his response to that person was, you'll notice here in verse 10 at the end, do not be afraid from now on you'll catch men. This is the amazing tension of this holy God who you and I have no business being near because He's so holy. Our sin separates us from Him, but yet He bids us to come near and not be afraid. That's the tension. So when we have this reverence of God and knowing His holiness and His mightiness and his, his power that we should cower in his presence but he yet he says don't be afraid you're going to be part of what i'm doing now this is the experience that has caused peter then to be willing he now has experienced the true god and his love and his mercy a god that doesn't want to strike him down but a god that wants to take him in his arms and love him into the kingdom and so he gets his calling. From now on, you will catch men. And so when, verse 11, when they brought their boats to land, this is the ultimate result of all that. They forsook all and followed him. Forsaking all means that we, when, when we come to a place of receiving Jesus into our life, we do so with the understanding that He is now in control of our life. We have to count the costs. We have to understand and realize that's what we're saying when we receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior. We say that you're in control of our life. That's why it says they forsook all. Peter literally did that. Walked away from his business, walked away from everything to follow Jesus. For us, it may mean that, but we have to ask our, ourselves the question, has there ever been anything that we've ever left to follow Jesus? Because that's going to happen. But see, it's not just forsaking stuff. It's forsaking stuff so that we can follow Jesus. In other words, anything that gets in the way of Jesus being the priority of everything in our life needs to be forsaken. It's not a... It's not a contract, a partnership with the world and God. It's either one way or another. It's saying, Lord, you're my everything or Lord, you're my nothing. And that's the problem many people get in. They don't understand what it means to follow Jesus, to truly be a follower and a believer that's been touched by God. But Peter experienced all those things, the emptiness and the brokenness, and he got to the point where he realized Jesus was the truth and he was so happy that Jesus invited him in to be a part of what he was doing. And so, man, as we take all of this, it reminds me. Do you guys know uh, Charles Stanley? Really well-known preacher, just passed away. In his Bible, he had written to remind him, Your work is valuable. Your reward is eternal. And so, for every believer, God is 
calling every believer to be enlisted in the work of God, wherever that may be, however that may be. But the Bible says, whatever you do, you do it as unto the Lord. He has to be first and our priority. And I think that's a great segue to finishing the service off with communion. So will you pray with me? So Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth. Lord, as we uh, get closer to you, as you draw near to us, it's normal to feel convicted and it's normal to feel like we want to push back and we want to resist. These are normal things that we see in Peter that he wanted you to depart from him. And there may be some or many here today that just sort of don't want to get too invested in the kingdom of God. Maybe some who just don't want to get too serious about it or too committed to it. And I just want to encourage you to don't worry about any of that. Just worry about what Jesus says and follow him. And as you do, you will find that there is nothing better as a human being to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Nothing more satisfying, nothing more fulfilling, nothing more meaningful, nothing more purposeful. And so as we get into communion, I just want to say a a couple things. And let's just continue in in prayer. uh, Let's just continue in this uh, meditation on the Lord and the things of the Lord. And I just want to say two things. One, today, I just want to give you an opportunity if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ. The Bible says to call on Him when He's near. And so I want to give you that opportunity right now. You could do that right where you are, right in your seat. But as I mentioned earlier, we're seeing things unfold in this world. It's just the world is screaming about what the Bible says it being the end times. And this is serious stuff. And so we, we, we want to give you this opportunity. Today the Bible says we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. A separation from God for all eternity. And that God demonstrated His love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so here's your part. Jesus did His part. Here's your part. Whoever would believe and put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, they would be saved. And so you can do that right now, right where you are, right in your seat. Just cry out to the Lord and say, Lord Jesus, save me. I'm a sinner. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Thank you for making the way for me as you are the way, the truth, and the life. I give my life to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. If you did that, if you did that, the Bible says, and if you truly meant it in your heart, the, me, it, the Bible says you are born again. You're a new creation in Christ. All your sins have passed away. You are not going to be held accountable for any of your sins that you ever have done or ever will do because Jesus paid the price for every single one of them. It means you're free in Christ. And when the sun sets you free, you're free indeed. 
And you could take communion today. So we're going to do communion. What's communion? Communion is for a Christian. And it's a remembrance that Jesus and his work are something that we have received into our life and it's become a part of our life. That's why we take the bread and that's why we take the cup. The bread represents his body. The cup represents his blood. And when we take communion, we're doing it as believers saying, I believe and receive the body of Christ who died for my sins and the blood of Christ which washes away my sins. That's what communion does. And so we're going to have the ushers come forward. Let's continue in a state of prayer and hold on to the communion elements. Come on, come on, guys. Come on forward. And uh, just hang on to the elements and we'll take it all together. If you're not a Christian, I just encourage you just to let the communion go right by. No harm, no foul if, if you're not sure about all that stuff. But I do encourage you to make this the day that you become a believer in Jesus Christ. So let's just spend some time in prayer. So as the ushers are passing out the communion elements, just want to remind you where this is coming from. Jesus in the upper room right before he was taken. He's having the Last Supper with his disciples. And he, as he was in that room with his disciples, his closest followers, pass around the bread, pass around the cup, and he said, do this in remembrance of me. He was instituting something that would be done after he died and rose again. Because he wants us to be mindful of what he has done. And so the bread represents his body that was on the cross that he gave for our sin. And the blood represents the blood that was shed to wash away our sin. And so it's through the act on the cross, through that work, that one could be made right with God by putting their faith in what he had done. They are going back to the Passover. So they were celebrating, Jesus was celebrating the Passover feast. The Passover feast was to commemorate the children of Israel when God delivered them from Egypt and the death angel passed over them because of the sacrifice and blood that was applied to their doorpost. So when the Jews were delivered from bondage and slavery in Egypt for 400 years by the hand of God. The death angel passed over them. It was all to signify the day that would come where Jesus would be the Passover lamb once and for all, fulfilling that picture and being the atonement for our sins that the Passover lamb at the Passover meal would commemorate. And so now there's no more atonement needed. There's nothing else to do. 
There's nothing else to earn or to gain because Jesus did it all. And when he was at the cross, he said, it is what? It is finished. And so here you and I are doing what Jesus said to do 2,000 years ago to commemorate that, yes, indeed, I have received the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, that he died on the cross for my sins, and now I am justified before God, and I'm treated as a child of God, accepted into his presence, and will be for all eternity, all because what Jesus did on the cross for our sins. So let's take communion. Let's take of the bread first, which commemorates the body of Christ on the cross. And then the cup, which represents the blood of Jesus that was shed to wash away all our sins. Well, thanks be to God. We're going to stand and worship the Lord before we go. If anybody would like prayer this morning, we're going to have our prayer teams up front. Just come forward as we sing this last song. They'd love to pray for you. We've seen God work amazing things through the prayer times that we've been having at church after the service. Let's worship the Lord one more time. Let's glorify His name.